Let me say good evening to everyone. Uh, remind me not to, or to make sure that the administrative assistant never sends that bio again. Uh, <laughs> my gosh. Okay. Um, it's an honor to be with you here on tonight. And I'm, I'm still struggling with knowing how to jump into this subject matter based upon the way that it was presented to me. I'm very excited about the fact that uh, I've heard that you all have been in a discussion having to do with uh, liberation theology uh, for quite a while, maybe even since the Advent uh, season, and I'd be very interested in possibly tying some of the things with regards to liberation theology possibly to the texts that we generally associate with Palm Sunday. I'm going to ask, I'm not sure, is it going to be Wendy who will read Virginia. for us? Okay, Virginia. I'm going to ask Virginia if you will come and read this text for us one more time, and I'm going to ask that we take a moment to reflect on it. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Thank you. So what exactly do we do with a text like this? Um, Palm Sunday has always been a confusing time for me um, because I never knew what to do with Palm Sunday. Um, One of the ongoing debates, which I feel like I've always uh, been taken by, is the notion, is this a Sunday about praise or is this a Sunday... Uh, about passion and somehow I want to believe that uh, praise and passion can live together as a matter of fact I want to suggest that um, you can't really know one without knowing the other the particular the particular term that is utilized that the people cry out Hosanna Um, actually uh, is a Greek transliteration which goes back to a Hebrew term. And uh, that Hebrew term literally means save us now. You don't necessarily get that same feel when you hear it from the Gospels. It sounds more like kind of a, a, a hooray. It's a it's kind of a shout almost sounding as if the battle is already won. But in the 118th Psalm where we encounter this term, uh, as a matter of fact, this is the only time in the Hebrew Bible that we encounter this term, uh, the term that comes from Yeshua, uh, which means to save. This is the first time and only time we get this term in the pu'al form, which is a, uh, it's an it's an intensive form of the verb, and it's 
this real plea, save now. Save now. Well, this is a term that all of the gospel writers, with the exception of Luke, Luke is the only one that does not make use of this term. Matthew, Mark, and John all depict the crowd crying or exclaiming, Hosanna. So what is it that we do with this term? I, I want to share briefly the major way in which I have heard it and I've kind of continued that tradition within predominantly African-American settings. But then I want to open the floor up and I'd really like for you to talk with me about how do you experience this text and is there anything political for you about this text? When I hear the term Hosanna. I've oftentimes tried to label this by saying that what you have in the story about the entry into Jerusalem is praise in a minor key, right? Um, or sometimes I would think of it as muted praise. And I connect this with, if you look at the Hebrew Bible book, what we call the Psalms. In Hebrew, it's called Tehillim. Some persons believe that that word Tehillim is associated with a word for prayer. Others believe that it's associated with a word for praise. And so, like what scholars like to do is that they like to have these hard positions uh, where nothing can ever work together. It's either this or it's that. So you've got this whole matter of what is meant by Tehillim. Some say that the book of Psalms is a book of prayers. Others say that the book of Psalms is a book of worship. That is, it's a book of praise. Once again, I ask you the question, why cannot prayer and praise have some kind of relationship? The entire book of Psalms, to me, is a huge example of what you see in Hosanna. What do we do with Hosanna? Is Hosanna save now or like, yes, save? Is it, is it, is it, this, is it this cry for help right now or is it this praise that is born out of confidence and the belief that the victory in some kind of way is already won. Within African-American settings, I would tend to suggest that we have tended to lean more towards the notion that you have a cry for help. That is, Hosanna, Hosanna are words of desperation. The people who make use of these words are persons uh, who have to live in substandard conditions. Uh, these are people, these are people who don't make enough to live on. These are people who've been compromised and relegated to positions of, of, of servitude that demean, that demean and dehumanize. 
save now. For some reason, it seems like the people who see Jesus, they see the possibility of things getting better or being better up under this king. Which moves me to the way that I would read this text. You see, I hear a revolution being called for. When the people say, save now, they're fed up. They're fed up with things, with the thing, with the way things are. And you literally have people here who are uh, trying to convince Jesus that they believe in the movement that he began, a movement that supposedly talks about an alternative kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand, utilizing some of the same language that was utilized by Rome whenever Rome would come up against places and they were getting ready to take over the places. They would say the empire of Rome is at hand, surrender or else. Right, we see that in some other documents where we read about some things that were taking place in the Greco-Roman world. But isn't it interesting that when you hear Jesus, Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Sounds strikingly like what Rome would call persons to do. The only difference is, is that Rome would tend to utilize the term surrender. But, you know, repentance is a type of surrender. Jesus says, repent. And believe. And for me, when I hear this particular text, especially following through the Gospels, these persons who have been impacted by the ministry of Jesus, people, some people not knowing where to stand with Jesus, but for those who were now embracing Jesus, I believe that they saw something or they believed they saw something in him that had the potential for revolution. Now the question is, is whether or not the people were satisfied or dissatisfied with how the story goes on. That is because with the crucifixion, of Jesus, one might, you could go either way with that. Some would say, no, he's not the one. Others might say, he's exactly the one because that's what they do to revolutionaries. That is, Rome tries to make an example of those who rebel, and crucifixion is a particular kind of capital punishment. It's intended to put rebels on display. So, really not sure know how the crowd embraces Jesus beyond that, but I hear Palm Sunday as being associated or having its roots in a call for revolution from people who had been muted by the Roman Empire people who had no voice, persons who had been relegated to the margins, but now saw the possibility 
of something radically different taking place. It's hard for me to hear that term Hosanna as just being a time of praise when we come on this particular Sunday. For me and for the African-American experience, praise is born out of some very difficult situations. People I pastor where I live are people that struggle hard each and every day like I know many other people do. But a lot of times our church building is utilized for such things as when it is uh, below zero weather outside, sometimes persons just come to the church to find some heat because they don't have heat. Or persons will come in the dead heat of the summer because they don't have any kind of air conditioning. They come to just be able, just to be able to sit for a moment. Uh, Persons who are having to live life like that are looking for radical changes and that tends uh, to lean towards the fact of persons some kind of ways trying to see in Jesus the possibility for a new reality. So yes, I would say that in African-American experience, uh, this text, like many texts in the Bible, have been read from a political vantage point. Now, there are, there are some other theories, especially the ones that come from... Um, uh, I believe it's Borg and Crossan, uh, John Dominic Crossan, and I believe it's Mark Borg. Uh, they maintain that the uh, Palm Sunday text that you hear is basically comedy. It's, it's political theater that is trying to poke fun, supposedly at another procession that would have taken place on the same day or just immediately before Jesus comes riding. That is, it was a procession of a Roman official, possibly a governor, uh, with the stallion, with a lot of the soldiers and the big fanfare and so forth. And so what you have here with Jesus coming, riding in on a donkey, is trying to poke fun, trying to say that these people are trusting in stallions, in princes and horses, in officials and horses, but here is the real king. All right. I'd be interested in you. What 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 do you what do you do with the Palm Sunday narrative? I, I recognize that maybe all of you have not necessarily grown up with it and been with it a long time but even if this is your first night hearing it what does Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey with people crying or exclaiming Hosanna what does that have to do with anything I mean as a matter of fact what does it have to do with with where we are right now
Yes. Mm-hmm. I think hearing that passage in the context of yesterday having the March for Our Lives um, just um, it has a completely new meaning. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what you said about um, that being being both a prayer and a praise mm-hmm. and a call for revolution, mm-hmm. I think that that's true. And yesterday was all of those things as well. Um, it was a celebration of life. It was a prayer for life, and it was a call for a revolution that would um, protect um, lives. It's an impressive showing, I must say. I agree with you. Yes. It's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Okay. And, uh, which is <laughs> which is huge right. for uh, all involved. Mm-hmm. So you are absolutely right. Especially that's the way that the gospel writers. Uh, depict and present uh, this as being basically a fulfillment of the Zechariah text, uh, especially. Um, Some would say, okay, so what if you're not a part of the Christian tradition and you regard what is called the Old Testament? What if it's regarded as being the Hebrew Bible? Some would maintain that this was a cry during the second temple period that is somewhere between maybe 539 BCE through the first century uh, AD. Uh, And that some would say, was this really intended for Jesus? Or was this even intended maybe during what we call the so-called Bar Kokhba revolt, all right, which would have been uh, a skirmish that took place uh, during the Second Temple period, all right. But you're absolutely right. One of the ways that we consider the Palm Sunday narrative is as fulfillment. Now, if I can just push you just a little bit further on that, fulfill what? What was it supposed to look like, in your opinion? Well, um, ever since Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, mm-hmm. um, it, it was like from then on, uh, God was willing to sacrifice his son. Mm-hmm. And these uh, and these. So, uh, what, what you're saying about uh, well, your two two points. Mm-hmm. One about um, having finally laid eyes on someone who they thought might change their situation. So, in a way, from the audience's point of view, uh, it was very, very (coughs) political. And um, from Jesus' point of view, he was 
the chosen one of God to set these people free. And uh, by doing that, uh, enable all the world to be saved. Okay. All the peoples uh, in the world to be saved. Okay, so, so possibly a, a fulfillment of promise that could go all the way back to Abraham. That's one way. Uh, that we could think about it. Also, some would suggest that it's the fulfillment of finally establishing uh, the kingdom that would have been derived from that of David. All right, because in many of the gospel writers, they would say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the son of David. All right, because there was this, there was this thought that the kingdom of David needed to be reestablished. And, and I was going to ask you all about that. So what do you all think about a story about yet another kingdom or another empire? Because essentially what you're talking about is just replacing the Roman empire with that of the kingdom or the empire that Jesus has been talking about God's rule being at hand. What do you all think about all this talk about empire? Yes. It sort of makes me think of a bunch of people lining the streets and wanting to make Israel great again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a, a dubious messianic figure riding in on a donkey and they misunderstood his intent and a week later they're done with him. Yeah. So how do we keep... How do we keep from just um, getting into a vicious cycle where people who feel as if they have been left out for a long time all of a sudden want to try to get on top and then another group of people feel as if they've been left out and they push now for a regime change of sorts? I mean, do you see it as being a vicious cycle or do you... Do you see Jesus riding in on this donkey as representing the potential for something that is other than just another empire? And if so, what does that look like? We just stay in praise and passion. And we are oblivious to all their mire and woe and fighting. Say, say that again. I want to make sure I'm oh, hearing. I just love the praise and passion. As Federico Fellini said, to the innocent, all things are divine. Yes, 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 yes. And, and, and also what can happen is, is, too, is that we can go in one direction or the other to the extreme. Sometimes we've gone in the direction to the extreme of palms. It's about all praise without respecting the passion that exists that is a major undercurrent and likewise going to the other end where it's all just about passion without any praise or confidence that we can move in a different direction also can be problematic. Yes. So that vicious cycle to Mm -hmm. me is... Uh, one group having power over another group. And Jesus riding in on the donkey 
rather than a, a magnificent horse, was a symbol of a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of uh, power. And, you know, then the Holy Week, he's washing the disciples' feet, saying, you know, if you want to be first, you have to be last, you have to serve. So it wasn't the kind of kingdom they were expecting. They were expecting the big, glorified, we're going to have power over other people. We're going to take back the power that we lost. And the power comes then from the relationship with God is an internal rather than an external. So you don't get the feeling that the Christian witness depicts the kingdom of God as having power, even including power over other forces? I don't. Over the force of evil, but not over different groups. Not over different people. So you, you don't see what Jesus was talking about as in any way lifting up one group over another. That's right. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure I was hearing. I hear someone else. Yes. Uh, if this was a divine black joke in which Jesus was using political satire, mm-hmm. was he speaking just to the Roman uh, rulers or was he also speaking to the religious rulers who were collaborating under pressure with Rome, or both. Yeah. Well, I think that if you read in all of the Gospels, in every one of the Gospels following the entry into Jerusalem, every one of the Gospels spend at least two chapters after that where Jesus is in some kind of way in tension with the temple. So oftentimes where we speak about things being so political with what's happening with Jesus, really, I would dare to say that one could make truly an argument that the entry into Jerusalem was not so much aimed at Rome, but aimed at the perversions that supposedly were taking place in association with the temple. It's almost like a a reoccurrence of some of the things that we heard from like prophets like Amos and Hosea earlier who uh, really took to task how the temple had supposedly become uh, one of the major abusers of the people through the exploitation of others. So... And I definitely would say to you, I don't think it's just the Romans, but I may even push a little bit further and say that it is seems to be mostly directed at the temple, the religious establishment. Yes, sir. Yes, definitely it's not the Romans. Even though the Romans were in charge, it was not the Romans that had the problem with Jesus. It was that... Pharisees. It was all the higher ups in 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 the uh, <clears throat> Jewish religious society, which basically governed the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So we, I think, uh, I think we still have the exact same uh, condition or 
faced with the same situation uh, these many years later because I think basically uh, Christianity goes on somewhat oblivious of what Jesus is actually saying. I think we still have great problems in in letting our lives literally be changed to reflect the new kingdom. It's still a difficult thing for humanity apparently to to give oneself up, to, uh, to, to give up our self-governing tendencies, we just, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's very, very hard to uh, truly follow what Jesus said. Well, could it, could it possibly be, though, that maybe we've come to a place as the church that we are we could be the establishment Mm -hmm. that Jesus could be pitted against you know what does it look like because if if it was left up to me I would almost see this as likened unto a poor people's campaign uh, because the persons who were crying Hosanna, at least the narrative doesn't let us in and suggest that you had upper echelon persons who were crying Hosanna. It seemed to be all poor people. Yes. I think I struggled a lot, like, kind of what you were talking about at the beginning of this, with just a lot of like understanding what the heck on Sunday was. Mm-hmm. Because when I was a kid, they just gave you a phone leave and just walk around with it. Right. And, right. and it's like, you know, and then, like, then there's Good Friday, and it's like, why, why is this good? And then it's Easter, and you know, like the whole context of it. Um, like, I think, like, I went to schools and I studied religion, and I did a lot of look at like philosophy and religion and comparing and trying to really intellectualize a lot of like, like the political satire and like kind of what was going on in the history of everything and. There comes a point where, like, I think what Jesus is just trying to say and has already just said that that is just love. And we try to overcomplicate it a lot, I feel, by being like, how do we follow this cycle? And we follow the cycles. We're human. The world is a broken place. And um, being able to reevaluate that, kind of like what Wendy was talking about at the beginning of this, with, like, reevaluating and reestablishing and just continuing to center our hearts in love and rather than being like and just constantly being open to repent and that's what he was telling us to do in that whole thing was to repent and humble ourselves and surrender and look at that and you know I I always struggled a lot with like feeling really guilty you know once I kind of understood what Palm Sunday was is like for one second you know I would have been right there with them like putting palms down and being like yes and then a week later, you know, crucifying Jesus, you know, and I can totally put myself in those shoes, and how do I stop that cycle, you know, and I think that that is what I really feel called to do. Well, let me do this because I I know that my time is right here at um, 
you know, a little bit later in the narrative, if we keep on reading throughout the Passion Week, um, I believe it's Matthew's text that says it like this. And they came to a place called Gethsemane. And I don't think it's by accident that the gospel writer presented it that way. And they came to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane reminds us of the old Philistine city Gath. And Gath was known for its press. It's where oil, olive oil was made and wine was made. And is this just coincidence or is this uh, narrative uh, detail where it says that they come to this, they come to the place called Gethsemane. I almost believe you could read it as, and they come to the place of pressing. Mm. Because the next words that we hear is that Jesus is grieved and agitated. And he prays this prayer over and over again that essentially says, if we can do it another way, that is speaking to God. God, if we can do it another way, let's do it that way. And it was almost as if Jesus had to continue to kind of come back to this prayer over and over again. But the text basically ends with Jesus embracing God's will, that is to go forward with this with this campaign because maybe the persons who were crying Hosanna didn't understand that it was going to require the sacrifice of life. Jesus says, well, not my will, but your will be done. Did something happen here? What happened that he went into the garden and he became agitated and grieved but is now getting ready to leave the garden. And even though the disciples keep going to sleep, they can't seem to stay awake. He's all right with it now. He was frustrated with it beforehand, but seemingly all right with it now. I think because maybe what the text is trying to suggest is that Jesus allowed himself to be pressed. And you see what happens. You can't have the oil, nor can you have the wine without the grapes and the olives being disfigured. You, you just can't have it. And maybe what we're trying to do as the church is that maybe we're just trying to remain grapes and olives and not allow God to really make use of us in a way that we uh, can demonstrate power, which oil oftentimes uh, is talked about or associated with in the Bible and wine oftentimes being associated with the whole notion of joy. Maybe that's a thought that we may want to think about. Are we willing to open ourselves, not just individually, but as church communities, to go all the way through with this, not just stand on the sidelines and cry Hosanna, but willing 
to even be disfigured in order that God's kingdom may come. God bless you.